individual gifts. They, they give what they decided between you and them, what they can give cheerfully. And, and just again, Lord, I'm just so grateful that these folks give consistently and faithfully. And because of that, we're able to not only uh, have ministry here inside these four walls, but out into our community, even into the world. And that, that is a very cool thing. So thank you, Lord. With that in mind, we ask you to take these offerings and these gifts and use them to further your kingdom. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Get you past that. I always kind of feel like I need to dance my way out here with that music, and, but I figure there might be some Baptist presence, so I probably shouldn't do that, but uh, anyway, that's kind of one of those, those uh, uh, t- tunes that gets you going. Uh, we are. We're, we're in a, uh, a series right now uh, called the Corinthians Captions, and that's because we're working off the captions in the book of 1 Corinthians. In fact, you can turn your Bibles if you want to go ahead or on your devices. We're, we're into 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning. The caption at the top of that is on divisions in the church, at least in the NIV Bible. Your, your translation might have a little bit different, but I suspect it'll be similar. And, and so he's, he's talking about this, this, this church, this really unhealthy church, and what it is that has caused them to be sick. And, and he's going to delve into some of those things this morning. He's gonna, we're going we're gonna to see, he's going to address some of the issues that's caused them to be in such a hard time as a church, such an unhealthy time. And so we're going to kind of walk through those as well. But I want to start off, we're actually going to start <clears throat> off in a passage in, in Matthew. Uh, I'm not going to have you turn to it, I'll put, stick it up there in a moment. But, but let me give you the backdrop a little bit, because Matthew, you know, uh, you who have been around church at all, you understand that, in, that there were the, the four Gospels, in other words, the four uh, testimonies of good news, that's what Gospel means, there, there were four eyewitnesses, people, individuals who spent time walking, talking, sleeping, eating with Jesus, helping him do his ministry during those three and a half years when he was actively involved in his ministry before the crucifixion. crucifixion. And so Matthew was one of them. Now, uh, as we dig into the passage in a moment, it's going to be a passage that Matthew, it's an analogy that Jesus gave in one of his conversations, and Matthew's the only one that records this. And, it's, and, you're, and when that happens, you've got to say, okay, what is it that, that caused this analogy to stand out to Matthew? And, and that's true of all the, the four eyewitnesses. It's just like any other eyewitnesses. You know, you know four people watch the same event take place, and, and there'll be a parts that they were to describe it. There are parts that they would all say pretty much the same thing, but, but then there'll be these things that they saw from their own lenses that are a little, oh, I didn't remember that, and you've had those kind of conversations. Well, that's true of the Gospels. In fact, one of the cool ways to read the Gospels, you can, you can actually you can get online and, and download this, but there's what's called the harmony of the Gospels. And what it'll do is, chronologically, it'll take all four Gospels and kind of stick their spots in, in where, where they probably landed 
and you kind of get the flow of, of life, of Jesus' life and his ministry, and uh, you get a really good perspective of what took place in those three and a half years by, by looking at that. And, but so, so here, here's Matthew. Now, you gotta, here's Matthew. Uh, prior to meeting Jesus, Matthew was, uh, based on his, profe- his uh, uh, profession, not the word I'm looking for, uh, but based on the job he took, his career, Matthew was about acquiring things. I, can, I, I feel like I can say that pretty matter-of-factly. And here's why I can say that, because Matthew was presented with an opportunity to work for the Roman government. That alone, he's Jewish, that alone by itself is a huge deal because the Roman government were not liked by his own fellow Jews. The Roman government were the conquering power. They, were, they called the shots. Jews didn't get to do what they wanted to do. They didn't get to worship the way they wanted to. They got some freedoms. The Roman government gave them some freedoms within reason, but their lives were pretty much controlled by the Romans. So for you as a Jew to, uh, to willingly take a job that was presented to you by the Roman government, that by itself was a was a uh, going to cause you some conflict with the rest of your fellow Jews. Then you take the job. The job was tax collector. Now I don't know if anyone here works for the IRS. If you do, you probably keep it a secret because even today that's not the our favorite you know person, is it? But but back in those days, that was really bad because uh, tax collectors were collecting taxes from the Roman government, and on top of that, they could add. Up to they were guided, but there was a percentage that they could collect for themselves, and so all of that tells you that that Matthew made a decision at one point. He had a decision. He could either have good relationship with his people and even with his own family, or he could acquire things. And he decided to acquire things that was more important to him than all this other stuff: having money, having things, having nice. Uh, surroundings, having a big house, that he decided that's, big, that's a bigger deal. That's more important to me than having good relationship with my people. So that tells you an awful lot about his character prior to meeting Christ. Now, when he met Jesus, initially, it's just like, I'm, you know, it, it, was a, it was a work in progress, but Jesus began to change his perspective on things, on life. And especially when he saw Jesus crucified and then saw him risen from the dead, that knelt, that, that uh, finished it for him. He knew who he was committed to and who he was going to follow, and it changed his whole priorities of life. But then you see this, this thing we're going to look at, because there is one time where Jesus gave this analogy that I think uh, the reason Matthew records it is because it's one of those, it, he's the only one that wrote, that wrote it down, because it was impactful to him. It caused him to pause. It, it, it made him stop and think about the decisions, the career decisions he had made in life. And you'll remember this story. Uh, some of you learned it as a song. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built... I expected somebody to jump in and help me out with that. But 
And the rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the house on the... So anyway, you got the idea. Well, it's a story in the Bible. It's an analogy. Jesus gives this analogy that there's these two men. And one of the guys said, you know, he wanted to build a house. And uh, so he builds this house. But, you know, he doesn't want to work too hard. And, it, you know, it's going to be a lot easier to smooth out, level out sand than that rocky area up there. And, and you know, we haven't really had a bad storm around here for years. I, I think I've said since. So he builds a house in the sand and... The rains came down, the floods came up, and the house gets destroyed. Then the second man builds a house on rock. And that's a lot more work, you know, those footings and leveling it out. But his house is built on the solid rock. And, and because of that, when the rains come and the storms come, his house stands. And then in the end, Jesus, and, and so you can imagine, so in the end, then Jesus comes around and he makes this final statement. He says, therefore, everyone of you who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, is like the man who built his house on the rock. And so that whole analogy caused Matthew to take a pause. You know, what's my life built on? And in, in honesty, if he were to, to answer his life, he would have to recognize his life had been built on things that weren't going to last. Uh, even if even if they made this life, eventually all the, all of it's going to be gone. He's not going to take it with him, and and so he that that really struck him, and he took note of it, and so he wrote it down. and And, and then Jesus makes a statement. He says, "There's you know you got to make a decision in life what you're building your house on." Now, why this is important to us is because what we would say is uh, when Jesus makes the statement and says. Therefore, in everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, we believe that he's saying there are certain things that you should, that you should value in life that are rock places, that are, are the places that those are the things that set you up and make you strong and help you move into the future and make you come to the end of your life and say, you know what, uh, uh, I've done Things in my life, I've been involved, I've, I've served my God well, and, and I, have, I, I feel like I've, I've made a difference, not in just a few people's lives, but I've made a difference for eternity. And so he, we believe that those core values are those kind of things. These are the words of, of the Lord. Who, these are things he said, these should be important to you. And if you make them important, then what you're doing is you're building on a rock. And, and so that's why we, we, we walk through this. Now, what, is, what we're looking at now is the church in Corinth, a church who has not built on the rock. They built on sand, and they are falling apart. You remember, they're imploding. They got, they got so many issues. They are, they're just, it is such a, it's a destructive church. It's the kind of church that you say to friends, yeah, don't go there, because you know they're not going to get a good perspective of of God, for one thing, and, and, and that's what this church has become. It's just become this, this huge, uh, unattractive, uh, actually pushing people away from God. Doing things that, 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 remember Paul, early on we saw, he's doing things that even the world looks at and says, really? How can you do that? What's wrong with you people? And, and so we're looking at this church who's got, going through just some, some really bad struggles and so now as we get into this chapter 3, Paul's going to start addressing what the problem is. And this is important because it should be important to you and I as individuals because I don't know about you, but I hope if, if you started that relationship with God, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, 
then, then you, it's a relationship. And every relationship, the strength of it or the weakness of it is based on what is put into the relationship. That's just the reality. My wife is, uh, some of you know, uh, the reason I was in Florida is because my wife's having kind of a family reunion with her side of the family. And some of these families, especially one cousin, she probably hasn't seen in over a decade. But, but in, when they were young, they grew up together. They used to, they're both their parents owned trailers up off of the shores of, of uh, Lake Ontario. And they spent their whole summer there. Their fathers would come out of the weekend, but they spent the summer playing with each other. And, and they're really close. But they haven't seen each other in de- the decade. But it's really fun watching them because, man, the instant they were together, and I, they're like two peas in a pod for one thing, but it just that relationship is so strong because they invested so much into it. And, and that's what he's talking about. It, it, it worked in this relationship with God, it, just like anything in life, it's, it's so much as what you put into it is how it comes out. You know, I, I, always, I always wanted to be a professional basketball player. I know I don't look like a basketball player, but I love basketball, and I wanted to be a professional basketball player. You know what I didn't want to do? Practice as much as you have to practice to be a fit. And, and so it's, and that's the way it is in life. And that's the way it is in our relationship with God as well. So Paul goes to him and he says, you know, here's the problem. Because remember, this is, they have lots of problems. So he's going to start addressing, what is it? Because that's what you want to find out. Okay, what's the core issue here? What, what is, what has led us to become such a healthy group of believers? And he says, brothers, I could not address you, verse 1 of chapter 3, as spiritual but as worldly. So he's kind of throwing it out here. All right? Here, you want the big picture? The pic- big picture is you are still worldly instead of spiritual. Now, I want to just define those words a little bit, you know, because sometimes we hear the word spiritual and we think, okay, uh, if a person is spiritual, here's, they, they walk around praying all the time, you know, and, uh, and they just trust God to, to make sure that they don't fall off a stage or something. Uh, I, I used to pastor a church in Maryland, and it was right near what's called the Bay Bridge, which is a five-mile-long bridge. And, uh, you know, we, we, I remember one time we were studying that passage where Paul makes the statement, he says, pray continually. And, you know, you know this day, nowadays when you buy, like, an article of clothing, it used to be you'd buy clothing, you'd have one tag in it, right? And that tag told you how to wash it and what size it was. Now you buy them, and there's like 23 of them, you know, because they're, they're, they're trying to cover every single possible base of what might go wrong. And, and so I used, I, I was, when I were talking about praying continually, I talked to my people, I said, okay, that doesn't mean you close your eyes as you go across the Bay Bridge. You, you just talk to God. You can have your eyes open, because just, you know, I just didn't want somebody to come back and sue me for, you know, going off into the Bay. And, and uh, so, but, so, so he's, he's saying, I, so spiritual doesn't mean that, but spiritual means a... A God-centered focus. My universe, my world, my decisions are wrapped up in wanting to do what I know pleases my Father. That's the way I live my life. We'll get in more detail in, in a moment. That, and he says, but that's not, this, to this church, that's not how you are. You're still worldly. Worldly is, you know, it's just, it's the natural. Uh, we are naturally about ourselves. Or maybe it's about our family unit, but, you know, we're, we're, when push comes to shove, I want what's best for me. And, and so I'm, I'm going to think that way. And, you know, uh, when, you know, I, I pick restaurants because it's the food I like, I do all the... And, and so he says, this is where this church is. You're, they were all wrapped up in themselves, and the result was, uh, 
Well, he says, you're, you're, you're still infants. You're mere infants. In fact, he puts it this way. And you know, here's the, so he asks the question, why? Why are they still in this position? So he says, well, let me tell you. Because I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready. Now, that first statement there, that's not a negative statement. He's not putting them down. What he's saying is, when I first came to you, we're... Some of you, when you first heard how much God loved you and, and that, God had actually, that God actually wanted to be in relationship with you and that he took it on himself to pay the cost, to take care of the problem of the thing that had separated that relationship with you, he came to our earth, he died in our place for our sins so that he could forgive us as a gift. He said, when you finally came to understand that, you were like brand new babies, and, and as brand new babies, when I first started teaching you about, about what it was like to be a follower of Jesus, you know, you weren't ready for a lot of stuff. We started with milk, and, and that's the way it should have been. You weren't ready for more. But here's the problem. He says, you're still not ready. You're, you're still infants. You're still like babies. And you know what babies are like. You know, babies are all about themselves. We understand that. It's okay for babies. We get that. But, you know, one of the things that one of my uh, wife's relatives that she's with this week, we have, uh, she has a nephew named Chris. Chris is, is, is the coolest kid. Now, when Chris is 49 years old. Yeah, and then you do. You say, oh, you see, he's cool. But Chris is mentally challenged. He, he has never developed fast. He can't, he can't speak. Uh, he, he reads a few words, he speaks to you in sign language, which causes quite a comedy between him, him and Uncle Paul, because he's trying to get me to understand, and I know bits and pieces, but a lot of things I don't, and he wants so hard for me to, to get it, and, and uh, but, you know, and, and he, I, I love Chris, he's a joy to be around, but, but at the same time, there's always a sadness, because here's a 49-year-old man who has the mind of a four-year-old. Sweet as can be. But you think, what could have been? You know, where he, where he should be as a 49-year-old. And Paul's saying to this church, that's where you are. You're still acting. You're still babies. And, and he shouldn't be anymore. And, and that's sad. He says, and so then he says, so you're still worldly? And, and they may come back, well, how, how can you say that? So, well, let me tell you how I can say that. Here's why I can say that, because as I look at you, as I hear what's going on in your church, here's, here's what I'm hearing is, for one thing, there's, there's this jealousy among you. You're, you know, instead of celebrating when God chooses to bless one of your fellow brothers and sisters, or maybe a fellow church, instead of celebrating, you're jealous. This is unfair. How come they get to do that? How come, God, you're doing that in their lives? How come? And, and he says, that's a sign of immaturity. That's a sign of the fact that you have not grown up. Your world is not wrapped up in God and his will. Your world is wrapped up in yourself because that's, that's what you do when you're a baby. You want what the other person has. You know, I had the delightful experience. You know, I got on the plane yesterday morning to, to fly back to, to this beautiful country here. Uh, and leave behind the palm trees and that kind of stuff. Uh, actually, I was really glad to be home. But, you know, I, I walk in and I find my assigned seat and discover I'm sitting in a seat next to a young mother and a two-year-old. 
everyone's dream of a flight home. <laughs> Three hours. Actually, he was a very well-behaved two-year-old. But he was a two-year-old. You know, that's just the reality. And, uh, and right away, she's worried. You know, the mom's trying to say, you know, and I said, look, I have grandkids. Don't worry about a thing. And uh, I said, I'm, I'm good with whatever happens here. We're okay. But, you know, you expect a two-year-old to act like a two-year-old. You don't expect a 40-year-old to act like a two-year-old. But he says, that's what you're doing. And then I watched that two-year-old, you know. Uh, you know, I watched the negotiations. They come by with the snack tray. And, and uh, you know, and she's already told him, no snacks until you take a little nap, because she said he'd been, you know. And uh, then I saw the negotiation. Here's the snack tray. Well, I knew where I was going to go. I know how this story was going to end. But you, know, but you expect that from a two-year-old. But you don't expect it from... A 40-year-old, and, and, and he says to this church, he says, yeah, when you were brand new baby Christians, new church, I get that, but you're, you should be past that kind of stuff. He said, not only that, how do I know? It's because, well, actually, let me go to this first. Paul, Paul, you know, some of the best, sometimes the best way to know what does one thing mean is look at, at the opposite. He's, here's what Paul says later on as he's writing to the Philippian church. He says, here's what mature, mature Christians look like. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. It's not about me. It's, yeah, I have my ambitions. In fact, you, you'll see that in another verse we'll look at in a moment. He doesn't deny that. We will. I do have my, my desires. I have my way and things to do. But he says, don't, don't do things out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't, don't make sure that, uh, you know, uh, the, the spotlight is on you. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. He says, that's, that's what maturity looks like. I'm not about me. Yeah, would I like it? Yeah, but if it doesn't go that way, that's, that's okay. You know, I, I, got my, I, I got my passions, I got my favorites, but it didn't have to be my way. He says, that's maturity. That's what should be happening. That is not what has happened in this church. And we'll, we'll see more evidence as we go through. But that's not what's happening there. And he says, another thing is about you is you're quarreling. You're fighting all the time. And these things go together, but you know, you're, you're, you're constantly at each other's throats. And you know, fighting, quarreling comes from almost always because I, we didn't get our way about something. You know, it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. You didn't do things the way I wanted you to do them. It didn't happen when I wanted it to happen. It isn't set up the way I want to set You can just go through the list. And he says, this is what you look like as a church, and this is what demonstrates that you're an immature church. You're, you still act like mere men, like men who, and that, that's not a derogatory term. It's just a term that says you act like individuals that, that God isn't in the picture. It, nothing is about God. It's all about what you want, the, the way you want it to be. He, to the Philippians church again, he writes, each of you should look not only to your interests, and notice that, he's not saying you don't have interests, and, and he's not even saying that they aren't even a part of the equation. But, but if you're a mature individual, and especially a mature believer, you are concerned about you, that discussion, but you also want to hear the other side, and you want to move, and you want compromise, and you want to figure this out, because what's most important to you is peace and to represent God well. And you know that quarreling and, and all this other stuff isn't going to. And you care so much more about making your God look good than you do about getting your own way. And he says that, that's what maturity looks like. 
Then he goes into their situations, because here's what goes on in your church. One says, I, and he, we saw this earlier, right? One says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Paulus. And we talked about that. Paul was kind of the gritty, you know, he, he, he was a good teacher, obviously, and, and maybe even a better let, writer. Uh, a lot of his writing just made a difference, but, but he wasn't polished. We know that. Paulus was the opposite end. Paulus was a good man, a godly man. But he was very polished in his presentation. We have clear evidence of that. And, and so, you know, so, so some folks, you know, said, well, I, I'm, I like Paul. I like the grittiness. I want it just said like it is. And, and someone else says, oh, Paul, you know, he sounds, I don't know, he, I like a Paulus. He, he kind of, he spends more time. His, his, his preparation, you can tell, man, because he's got the words down in the right place and the right emphasis. And, and, he's, and, he's, and then the earlier passage says, and then some of you say, well, I follow Peter, because Peter's the guy that, you know, Jesus had the rock conversation with. And, and then, then those folks that say, they trumpet all, they say, well, you know, I, I, I trump y'all, I'm a Jesus follower. But they weren't saying it because they were a Jesus follower. They were saying it trying to make the other ones look less. And he says, that's ridiculous. You know, how do we do it nowadays? Well, we say, well, I'm a Methodist. Or I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Lutheran. I, I go to E Free Church, or or I'm a new I go to New Life Church, or or we trump them. I go to non all denominations are welcome in my church, you know. And it's like and, and and he's saying, wait a minute, you're the body of Christ. You're the church. It's not the church. There, we're the church. It's, church is preaching the word, then we're part of the same group fighting for the same God trying to lead people into that relationship. And we should work together and love each other and encourage each other. And it could show up other ways in the church, which exactly what was happening there. He says, this is ridiculous. This shows the fact that you are still babies. You're still drinking milk when you should be eating steak. And you've never got there. So how should we be thinking? Because that's the question, all right? How do I know? How do I know then if I'm on track with my relationship with God? He says, well, you have this perspective. He said, first of all, your perspective is you recognize, you know what? You know who I am? I am a worker for God. That's what I'm about. The way I do my job, the way I, I have recreation, the way I approach my family, my spouse, the way I treat that, that uh, person across the counter at the grocery store, the way, the way I drive. Everything I do, I do with this perspective. I'm yours, God. I am your worker. I want to work, minister, live in a way that demonstrates that I'm God's and, and I'm, I'm going to do things in a way that point to my God and bring him glory. That's my perspective of myself. And so it's not about me. It gets, I, I totally lose track of that because I'm about God. And what is most important to me is that whatever I do makes my God look like the good God he is, the loving God he is. And, and so that's, that's first. He says, so you have that perspective. He says, then you have this perspective. You understand that you are God's field. He is the one that determines what fruit you're going to produce. Uh, he, he decides how to fertilize. He decides when to plot, and, and you're comfortable with that. And he may decide, you know, when I went to Bible college, true confession, I, I, was, I, I thought maybe I should send Billy Graham a note to let him know to get ready to step aside because I'm coming. <laughs> that was never God's plan for me, <laughs> and I was pretty foolish to even think such a thing. 
but you, you get, you're in this place where, you know, I, it's God. I'm, I am his field. Whatever fruit he produces from me, I'm going to be really grateful that I even got to be a part of that. And, and that's your perspective. And so I'm not jealous about somebody else because they, they got to do something and, and serve in a way or, or be a part of something that I didn't get a part of. I'm just glad for them, and I'm really glad for what God's allowed me to do. And he says, and you have this perspective. I'm God's building. Now the foundation, remember, is Jesus Christ. He's going to come back to that in a moment. Foundation is Jesus Christ. That's how it starts. But what God determines to be a part of my life I recognize he knows, he's the one that designed me. He designed where, what I'm supposed to look like at the end. He knows what I need. He knows how many rooms there should be. He knows if there's, you know, how many bathrooms there should be. If I get a back porch or a front porch or whatever, he, he, that's his design. And whatever he decides, whatever the building materials are that he decides should be part of what goes into my life to build me into what he wants to be, I'm grateful for it. And some of those things are going to be hard. But I learned to have that perspective. When those hard things come, I recognize this is not accidental. This isn't just haphazard. It didn't just happen. My God, who knows exactly what I need and knows exactly what he's trying to build me into, he decided for this to be a part of who, what happens in my life right now. And Lord, I'm grateful for it. I may need your help, God, with this because this is hard. You know? But thank you. Because you're building the building. And when we get that perspective, that is what maturity looks like. And that's what he's telling this church. Man, this is where you have to get. Now, the encouraging thing is if you go into to the second book letter he writes, uh, 2 Corinthians, he wrote others, that, but these are the two that, we, that were saved and, and part of our scripture. You'll find out they've made leaps and mountains. Still got a few things, a little tweaks to make, but man, man, they listened. But here's where he's trying to take us. And so... Kind of sum this up, he says, if a man builds on this foundation, Christ, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is. He says, there's a decision we have to make. We have to make it as a church. Every one of us has to make it as individuals. What am I going to build my life around? Going to be hay, Wood, straw, things that are, are, in the end, I'm going to say, what a waste. Why did I waste my time with that? It amounted to nothing. Or there's going to be things like silver, costly stones, gold, that are things that help make me into what God wants me to be. An attitude that says, God, I'm yours. My work is to bring you glory. That's what I want, and that's what we want as a church. So he brings us back to that point, and he says, okay, and to this church, to the church in Corinth, he says, Here, here's what needs to happen. You need to get on track, because you haven't grown up, but you can. It's all based on what you build upon the foundation, and, and so that's the message for us, and, and first of all, I would say, here's the message for you. If you've never stepped into that relationship with God, uh, if you've never accepted that gift of forgiveness that he's offering, he just says, if you'll accept, I want to forgive you. Now, I realize to accept forgiveness means I acknowledge that I've done some things that God wouldn't be totally happy with. Because that, that's what he said. That's what sin is. is it's, it's going out of the will of God. And yeah, I've done that. So you've got to acknowledge that to say, yeah, I need forgiveness. But he says, the moment you do, when you accept that forgiveness, I adopt you into my family. You, I become your heavenly father. 
you have an eternity with me and, and my Holy Spirit comes to live within you and you, from that point on, I am with you every step of the way and, and if you'll allow me to, I'll make you into just this beautiful building. So if you haven't accepted that gift, laid the foundation, then I would encourage you to do that. Ask today, ask God, Lord, I, I understand. I need, I've sinned against you. I am accepting this gift of forgiveness Thank you for adopting me into your family and allowing me to be in a relationship with you. For the rest of us, he's saying, yeah, but now we got to, what are you going to build on that? What's, what's your, what are you putting into it? Is it hay, straw, wood? It's going to be burned away. In fact, he'll use another analogy later about that. Or, or is it things that you know are strengthening that relationship every day? You know, the early church, and, and all this leads to this, because the early church, and we've talked about this so many times, it was growing rapidly. And you remember why? It wasn't because, man, they just had outstanding doctrine, or, man, their preachers were, were just such great preachers. People were thronged. They just couldn't wait to hear them. No, he says they were growing because they loved each other well. And the only way you do that is if you love God well. So that's our prayer. As we continue to look at this church and examine this church from the perspective of what does healthy church look like? That's the question we're asking for us as True North Churches. Do we look like a healthy church? Do we love each other well? Let's pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for just, man, this stuff is so practical. We, we need to hear this. It's just, this stuff's a big deal because... None of us would sit here and say, oh, I don't want to be a mature believer. I don't want to grow up. I, I like the baby stuff. I, want, I, want, I, I don't want steak. I like milk. You know, we'd say that in real life, and we certainly shouldn't have that perspective as, as your followers. And so we, True North here, we want, to, we want to serve you well. We want to have this confidence in your plan for our life that causes us to relax and and just and really recognize that, that your decisions for us are based on what is very best. You're building this building that's, that's going to be beautiful. So just trust you. We want to be that kind of a church. We, we don't want this unhealthiness that is, is so dim, demonstrated in the Corinth church, that the fighting and the jealousy and the my way and the, all that stuff. We, we want to be a church that people look at it that don't know anything about us except this. Man, how they love each other. Thanks for the opportunity to think these things together, looking at your word. Continue to guide us as we walk through this conversation, this study together. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his whole. like never before Oh my soul I'll worship your holy name Sun comes up The sun comes up It's a new day dawn It's time to sing your song again Whatever may pass and whatever lies 